Hey, all you lovely Beyonders out there in Beyonderland. Welcome to Beyond the Mat. Hey, yo, welcome to Beyond the Mat, where it's all about the things and stuff. It's like this and like that, sitting in a lotus seat. We breathe deep from our heads to our feet till we feel inner heat. A little bit of rhythm for your soul. Stretching out your minds from your head to your toes. We in our flow state, we don't know no hate. We end up feeling great though, so we correlate. Coil snake gonna rise sunshine We take our time to appreciate divine grace It takes place in a pace in the inner states From a country road down to the interstate We contemplate this, we here to make this We here to break this, but we never fake this We never hate kids, we in the love vibe Me and my whole tribe, we gonna try to be fly with the sunshine This show, like every show, is brought to you by Me and something that I am doing What am I doing? Nothing right now. What have I done? I wrote a book. This book is all about meditation, but it's not that boring, blah, 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 Sanskrit word, blah, 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 focus your mind kind of bullshit. No, this book is written like regular talking. It's written for regular, normal people. This isn't aimed at new agey, hippy-dippy, woo-woo freaks. I mean, I am one of those freaks, and I did not write this book for myself. This is for people who actually need or could benefit from it. People like the hardworking people of the world. Folks who like to get upset and throw pipe wrenches through the air. Folks who throw hammers. Folks who throw blowtorches. Whatever the tool is laying next to them on the ground is what is being thrown at you. And if you got to deal with these people every day, that shit can get stressful. And you, not just them, might also need to read this book so that you can deal with them as they try and deal with their own situations. This is a never-ending cycle of people needing the book. So... Grab yourself a copy today, www.jcoleyoga.ca, and scroll on down to the books section. Today's guest, and wow, what a great show. I totally had no idea where this was going to go, folks. My only notes for this guest were that he had something to do with UFOs or aliens or something like that. And as you've all heard, uh, UFO freaks talking in the past... You know, this could go either of two ways. It could go down a super strange rabbit hole of nonsense, speculation, hearsay, and allegedlies, or it could go down a scientific path of reason and understanding. And I think we managed to walk right down that middle path, talking about all the things that we got into, from advertising to agriculture, food, farming, eating and living healthy, uh, getting into archetypes, the impact on eating strawberries in the winter, and so much more leading up to Ed's own personal experiences in The Unexplained. So, ladies and gents, make some noise for Ed Roman. So, hey, welcome to the show. This is Beyond the Mat, and it's not just yoga, as we're going to talk about today. Finally, one of my favorite topics that no one ever wants to talk about, no one ever wants to touch it talking about, well, two, two of my favorite topics. Uh, so UFOs, aliens, maybe, and music. And the guest today is Ed Roman. Welcome, Ed. 
Hey, Jay, it's good to be beyond the mat, and, and obviously it's the yoga mat. I was thinking maybe it was more like, you know, somebody you knew named Matt. That would be cool. Anyway, but it's not two T's, right? It's like, so it's beyond what Matt was talking about. If my and name was Matthew, cool. if my name was Matthew, that would be a pretty cool podcast name. <laughs> Any Matthews out there who want to buy this podcast name from me, I'll let it go for a cool $10,000 today. <laughs> Ameri- I get half. American. <laughs> if it's USD, damn it, I want to have. It'll be Canadian. It'll be Canadian. So that's like a third of what your money's worth. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Got to get paved in beaver tail. <laughs> oh, my. So we have a pastry here called the beaver tail, and it is a Cinnabon, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the true Canadian beaver tail, the, it's the not- deep prize. It's not a real beaver tail, no. I mean, it's a pastry that they call the beaver tail, and they sell them all over Canada. But really, <laughs> really, when you eat it, you're like, oh, it's a Cinnabon. Okay. <laughs> it's the same material, same here's kind of flavor. Here's some sugar for you, Jimmy. Yeah, here's some sugar and cinnamon. Now get out of my face. Give me my $5 and get out of my face. <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, my. I always find stuff like that is is funny, especially with, like, unhealthy stuff like that you know it, it becomes such a fad and it's become an identity like oh you gotta try a be you gotta try a beaver tail if you go to canada like gross why don't you try something good and healthy like we grow some good kale too you know try some of that you know well like, that's the thing eh with artificial sugars and stuff like i know like when i was younger i drank pop like you know like a lot of kids do oh yeah um even some juices that you you know with the happy picture with the kids running with the dog on the on the on the, on the front of the label yeah you know it's it's x amount of purity not from concentrated what i still taste the, the like the sugars that are added yeah. but then like if i eat a carrot a fresh carrot uh, and or the sugars alone in that vegetable or other things. I mean, I'm like, man, this is sweet when I'm eating it. Like, you didn't put anything on this? No, no, no. No. And, and you get adjusted to what that is. Even salt or of the same faction. I mean, you know, they salt French fries when you go to a restaurant or wherever, then but people put more salt, and that's sodium. I mean, we all require a certain amount of sodium in our system, but X and X amount, especially even in processed foods, it's so unhealthy. And then the correlation between, you know, blood pressure issues, heart issues, diabetes, you know, they all correlate to that kind of same thing in a way. Whether you like to believe it or not, I'm a firm believer of it. And I've pretty much lived my life that way my entire life, just even coming from an agricultural background. But right. uh, when you point it out to people, you know, it's, I think it's important to, to have dialogue about it always. I talk to people in my grocery store that think I'm crazy. <laughs> because you're talking to them and you're not on your cell phone. That's probably why. Yeah, well, it's like, and like I'm reading something, I'm like, why is TBHQ in this? Like, it didn't used to be in this. Why does it need to be in it now? Yeah. You know, and it's like a derivative of butane. And it's like, well, it's a preservative. But, but it, it used to be there and it was shelf stable. And Yeah, there used to be other preservatives. almost a, a marketing ploy with companies mm. where it's like they're boasting imperfect vegetables, imperfect fruits. We're going back to our original recipe, non-GMO, certified, what it is. I mean, there's a, it's good to see on that healthy level, because I've been talking about this kind of stuff for years, like you, Jake, like, okay, people are actually thinking about what that is, asking the questions, 
sending in emails, consumer reports, whatever it is that's happening. At least there's some step, a big step towards a, hopefully a healthy change in what all that is, man. You are what you eat. It's as simple as that. Yeah, for sure. Man, even just looking at like uh, if you've ever made stuff yourself, which I'm sure you have, when you make something like I made a tomato paste, I wanted to have a, a creamy ro- rosé tomato sauce. Well, I bought some tomatoes and I thought I'm just going to like boil them, I guess, or fry them till the skin comes off. And then I'll heat them up and maybe throw them in a blender or food processor and I'll blend up into a tomato paste. Well, the color comes out like as light a pale shade of red as you can imagine. And I'm like, how much weird red dye are they putting in to the tomato paste that you buy at the store? Because when you look at the two side by side, you're like, mine doesn't look like that. And their bottles, every one of their bottles is exactly the same shade of color in it. So, like, there's a lot of trickery going on involved, which which in nature, it, at home, when you're making this stuff, it's not every batch isn't going to look exactly the same. Every batch isn't going to have the those bright, vibrant colors popping out of them. So that's kind of an interesting, interesting Right, and thing. that's, like, also big batch-making stuff. I mean, you know, you, mm. we've already done what? somewhere between 30 and 40 jars of relish. So like with the cucumber relish, our cucumbers, our onions, our peppers, it all goes into that recipe. So there's a uniformity to to those 12 jars or whatever you're producing per batch. But again, you know what? You're right though too, Jay, because like doing it yourself is one thing. People are like, well, I don't have the time. And I'm like, okay, I understand some of that too. It's about making some, some time for that. But the tactical connection to it yeah increases the appreciation level to a whole new space because it's like it's self-empowerment almost in that regard like you know people like what well, you know why do you do it well it saves us money it, it's healthy i get exercise i all those different things that are attached to gardening and that that sort of I'm sorry to say, but it's like a cosmic and spiritual connection to your living environment. That what you do immediately in terms of working in a garden, it produces and sustains you through this process of like, oh my gosh, we can do this. It's happening in our own backyard. And as a result of it, that tactical connection, like I'm saying, just goes through the roof because it's not just about the food trough, you know, experience. Right. It's about, and I understand food needs to be quick for some people sometimes, but you know, some sometimes though is the key word. Sometimes, not every every night. Right, 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 right. But uh, again, it it there's so many things that are attached to it that that it's like, well, well, I can't, I can't not. Me personally, I can't. I have to do it. Yeah, and even just cycling back to that tomato paste example, when I made the paste, it tasted ten times better than anything. That I was going to get in the store because it, it was yeah. fresh. Everything was new, all good local organic ingredients. And just because it didn't have that solid dark red coloration to it, it still tasted 10 times better. Uh, yeah. Without preservatives, you could tell it hadn't sat there. For, I mean, yeah, you know what? A good, a good sauce is always better the next day. And it was, and I, I let it sit overnight to let the, the flavors absorb. And, uh, I did kind of do a big enough batch that it would last a couple nights. But that's the other thing. I don't overdo it. I'm not like 
trying to like make a batch that's going to last all through the winter, you know, it's just for a few nights. So I don't have to worry about preservative or worry about making it even in a way that it needs to be preserved if it's going to be frozen or, or anything like that. So making these smaller right. batches. You're, you're, is, eating it, you're eating it fresh. That's the best way. Eating it fresh, using it up right away. It's not going to go bad. But you got to be willing to do that. You got to be, man. And like I eat this weird diet right now. It's like a sort of like a keto diet. It's very, very low, very low carb and very high fat. And I only eat one meal every day, and it's the exact same meal every day. So for me to eat, you know, a tomato paste three days in a row, like, that's not boring to me. I don't mind doing stuff like that. It's actually, Right, because it's also a headspace that you're in, because it's almost mantra-related at that point. Yeah, yeah, like you made a thing, and now you're using it. But I know so many people, and I used to be this way too. Oh, I don't want that again. I had that last night. Like, oh, I don't want tomato. I don't want tomato sauce with spaghetti again. Uh, you know. But sometimes it's better the next day. <laughs> it is always better the next day. <laughs> well, that's why I let my Soup, sauce. Pasta sauce. There's mm. a whole list. Soup, right? <laughs> yeah. Stews, everything that, anything that needs to sit and, and marinate a little bit. It's always better. But my, my sauce, I'm, I let my sauce sit for a day. That's like kind of part of the recipe. So I wouldn't use it up right away. But yeah, you know what? Now, because I've trained my brain through habit forming to enjoy or just being okay with eating the exact same meal every day, if I were to have tomato something three nights in a row, it's actually a bonus <laughs> at this point. It's like, woohoo, I'm living on the edge. Watch out. We're having tomato <laughs> sauce tonight. <laughs> uh yeah, so you can tell I don't have any children. <laughs> well, and I mean, that's also too. I mean, in my house, I mean, though, growing up with the garden that we had, it was it was big, man. I won't lie to you, it was almost two acres. It was huge because we were on 1,500 acres. It was cattle, cash crop. Uh, there were a number of relatives, cousins that all worked the farm. We all lived there. It was like the Swiss family Robinson of something of the cattle industry. But, oh, wow. Um, and milking cattle as well as beef cattle. So it was it was a pretty big thing. But it was lifestyle because, I mean, I needed to five. My mom gave me like a six by six area. You grow what you want. You have to look after it, tend it share it with family right all of those kinds of things were were attached to that and, and and it wasn't necessarily a chore i mean i won't lie to you you know come home from school you gotta look after the animals before you do your homework before you have dinner yeah there's a lot of things that are you know but but it be, like you said you've trained your brain <laughs> and in the same way when it becomes a part of your lifestyle it's just second nature the task to get done and then it, 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 appreciation sets in. I mean, I tell you, I haven't had large animals in a while in my life. We sold our herd many years ago. But I miss it. I miss the not just the, the, the chore aspect of looking after the animals, but, man, if you've ever been in a barn in the middle of winter that you've just cleaned out and you freshly strawed it down, and there's about 150 animals that have come in to warm themselves in the early evening, and they're all sitting there just breathing. <laughs> and you're standing amongst all this. It's like the most comforting, almost like biblical, transformative feeling. Not silent. Just all these animals and you. You know, it's it's like like I said, it's it's religious almost in a way. 
And they're kind of like looking at you in a way too. Some of them, and they're staring at you. Yeah, there's a, you're like, there's a lot of intellect in animals that people don't realize, and subtle energy systems, mm. and conversation, and relationships that are there that that people are just incapable of seeing sometimes. And I won't lie to you, some some animals are unruly. You know, they'll, oh, yeah. give, they'll, they'll give it to you. So, well, I imagine some of them are just like, oh, the bringer of food has come, and they're staring up at you like. What delicious treats will he deliver today, you know? And then the unsurly ones are like, I don't need this guy. I'll get my own food. Just let me out of this barn. I don't need your shelter. Right, You know? And then they're wanting to escape. Yeah, and they spent a lot of time in pasture. I mean, they weren't, you know, the barn was a place for feeding at night and coming in for safety, corral. Yeah. That kind of a thing. But, you know, again, animals have all their own personalities. The matriarch of the, the beef cattle herd that my parents had imported here from France many years ago in the early 70s, she, her name was Isis, and she was like a, like a dog in a weird way with the affection. She would come up to the fence line. She'd rub her head against you. She was nothing aggressive. You know, there's a lot of family photos taken with this animal. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a part of our family. So, you know, again, it's living symbiotically in your environment um, and, and, and very detached. We have no digital umbilical cord continually running through your life at that point in time. It was about just living in the moment inside of nature. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, man, I know I was out a lot, but I had allergies, so I didn't get out too There were some things that I couldn't do. I couldn't go into the barn, and I couldn't help clean the horse barn out. And when I was young, my dad had pigs and chickens. I don't remember wow. them very well, but I remember the horses for sure because the horses were, were with us a long time. And that was something because the horses would be kept in a field across the street we would get a phone call at three in the morning. Oh, one of your horses is out on the road. So the whole family would have to get up and in like piss pouring rain in minus 30 weather and go out and, you know, schlep through the mud with lengths of wire, trying to find an electric fence where it's been downed and figure out what the short is and get the horses back in. Because like if a horse gets hit by a car, the insurance is set up that my dad has to pay for your car kind of thing. You know, because oh, the, because the, the horse got out. Municipality police don't like it when that kind of thing happens. No, no. So yeah, we would have to you know go through that kind of for for me as a child, like uh, and being the indoorsy kind of kid, this was very traumatic. <laughs> being ripped up out of bed at three in the morning, like what do you mean I got help with the horses? <laughs> I don't even like the horses. I can't even go in the barn to enjoy them. Why should I have to have any part of this? But I yeah, it's know. like I can already. It's like you know, dark. You know, you're trying to like find the break in the line. Oh. You're trying to hook it up. It's probably yeah. windy. Somebody's got a flashlight. Yeah, you're trying to wrangle the horses. It's like yeah. insane. Like yeah, insanity for 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 like an hour or longer. Right? Uh, yeah, and for a child, an hour of insanity, just high tension, high stress, is like a lifetime. You know, like <laughs> remember that week that we had to put the horse in. <laughs> it's like. It wasn't a whole week, it was an hour. Yes, but that's also when you start seeing strange things in the middle of the night. So you never know. There could be like a, it's like Occam's razor. Jeez, we got to fix the electrical fence. But what's that strange glowing object up in the sky? (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, That's not when I've seen anything, but uh, I guess we'll get to that in a minute. Um, So just 
and I, I wrote some notes on my on my sheet here, scribbling just to cycle back to to food again, real quick. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I look at my body like it's this experimenting thing. It's like a, it's it's a it's my guinea pig kind of thing. And so when I I tried cutting out salt, and when you cut out salt, man, you taste the salt in everything. So there's some really salty right. ass food out there that you just have no idea. Like like you were saying about the sweetness of a carrot. And I noticed that same sweetness of a carrot when I started juicing and using a juicer to juice vegetables. And it's like I put beets and carrots together and all of a sudden it's a delicious sweet drink, maybe with a little dash of ginger. And it's like one of my favorite juices to drink. A beet and a carrot by itself doesn't necessarily, you know, taste that good or have have those undertones or overtones. So... Yeah, cutting out a bunch of and doing just a juice diet, that's when you really start to notice flavors because you're you're not Well, and there are people, I mean, that swear like on a on a nutritional level and in terms of digestion and things like that. There's so many great and wonderful things that are happening through that. I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time with Rastafarians in Jamaica and even some of the favorite drinks that they have are beet carrot and actually they use Irish moss. Oh, you boil the okay. Irish moss, you pull off the, the gelatin that comes off it. It's like an oceanic coral plant. Yeah. And then the, the water you add to it, and it almost creates like a, sorry, a gelatin-like thing inside of the, of the beet thing. It's one of Bob Marley's actually favorite drinks. Yeah, I've and heard like of A famous guy, his name is Juicy, I believe. He, he, he's one of the, the, the main guys that travels on the road with famous musicians, everybody from the Rolling Stones to you name it. He's always making these amazing drinks hmm. for people out of all kinds of fruits and vegetables, kale, any kind of superfood that you can think of. Yeah, oh, man, I've, I haven't had a kale shake in a long time, but those were, for a long time, those were part of my everyday breakfast meal. Kale shake, protein powder, throw some alpha brain in there, and... uh Get get my day underway. Uh, <laughs> a good combination, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I geez, just with this this new thing I'm doing, I'm down to just the one meal every day. The exact same meal. It's either boiled or steamed vegetables. It's like a dark, all dark green everything. Uh, well, then you know, and on a metabolic level, as we get older, things are changing. Obviously, every seven years body you know its requirements go through so many different changes things that we used to need on protein levels even changes so much as we get older and yeah. i'm i'm pretty much the same as you jay like i mean i'm usually eating one big meal a day it's usually late afternoon early evening that's when i kind of have that window yeah to sort of have a, a moment that's more ritualistic about the excitement of what we're doing with our food, cooking it and eating it and sharing it together. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I was a heavy kid when I was younger. I mean, I was 260 pounds. I was a big boy, right? But my, my metabolism was so slow. It wasn't that I had poor eating habits. It had more to do with that I needed to speed it up somehow. Right. And I went on a special diet. I tried a whole bunch of different things, but it was this vegetable stew. That, that I started eating copious amounts of 
along with bran muffins. My mom and grandmother would make this stuff like, and I was working on a farm. I was running 6K every other day. I was working all day from like 6 in the morning till 6 in the evening. Uh, it sort of really changed everything in terms of how my metabolism broke things down. If I eat three meals a day now, I feel lethargic. Mm. Uh, I, I don't feel as spry. When I do have those moments of consumption, you know, I mean, I mean, a piece of fruit or something at noon, a nice banana or a couple of apples or something like that. But that, that sort of balanced sort of concept of what we consider a meal really only happens once a day for me, too. I don't need it. I was just talking about this with my brother on, on Thanksgiving in Canada this past weekend. And you're an old Canuck, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in Canada right now. Oh, I thought, I thought you were in L.A. I lived in L.A. for a year, and then I came back, and I've been to the West Coast through, uh, lived in Alberta, lived in Nelson in British Columbia, lived in Victoria, and then I traveled all the way back, all the way across, back down through New Brunswick over to Nova Scotia into Halifax. And then last winter, I said, I don't want to do winter again, like a real winter. And so I said, I'm coming back out West, and that was it. I've been out here ever since. And nice, man. So where are you now? Victoria? Back in Victoria, yeah. Vancouver Island. Okay, so so you get it. So Thanksgiving, you can't help but not talk about food and stuff. And my brother and I were like, and he's busy too. He's up at five. He drives to Toronto. He teaches. He's head of the automotive department at Central Tech, works all day, comes home. Yeah. But that's when his big meal is with his family, is like at five or six o'clock when everybody's around. Yeah. And he said, I, I just don't, I don't need it. You know, if, if you're working a lot and I'm doing a far more physical activity i might load up in the morning I'm, like, I'm, I'm sorry i can't say no to cheese cheese is my friend i mean you know put your hands you know keep your hands off the counter and stay away from the cheese if the police came in it would be like you know so like but it gives me that sort of other protein push i think it's also important to recognize like have you ever read that book or heard about the book eating for your blood type yeah yeah, because there's all the different uh, benefits of eating a certain yeah, way for and, certain and other blood things types. associated with breakdowns of carbohydrates and proteins, combinations of combo carbos and proteins that are based on blood types and similarities in other blood types and da 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 da. Anyway, it's pretty elaborate. But point being is like, I'm O positive, and as I started going through this, I was a vegan, complete vegan for 20 years. I saw this documentary on Horace Silver, who's a vegan. He started talking about this book, and he started eating meat again. But not like weekly or monthly. It was more like when he felt that weird, I can't explain it, because I have it myself sometimes, pang of like, I feel like I need a palm-sized piece of this. Yeah. You know, you you know just... something's flesh in hey. a weird way. For me, it was important, and I noticed that on a, cognitive level perception level that everything for me kind of changed because i was feeling like i was missing something not that i was like cloudy no but i wasn't sharp hmm. and, I, and i like being sharp it bugs me when i'm when i'm when i'm bogged you know what i'm saying yeah so so for me it, it was bigger and that may not be for everybody and that's cool no but uh, but for me, it, w it was just one of those things. But I think it's also important recognizing what your body needs when it needs it. Like, you know, like craving a banana. I'm potassium. I must need some potassium. You know? <laughs> Man, so that kind of how I've been, I've been vegan for almost three years and vegetarian for longer. And that happened kind of recently. 
this and and I you know I'm always experimenting and trying to, and twisting new things so like like I said my body is my guinea pig and the question is can I stay alive by doing this so like you know I'll be I'll be tweaking things and changing the menu around and then this happened like like you said just something was overwhelmingly uh, deficit in my body and I was like I need a can of tuna fish right now and I ran to the right. store and I bought a tiny little can of tuna fish in olive oil and I just opened it up and ate it without any mixtures or anything I just ate the can of tuna fish and that was it it hit that weird spot that just like I don't know I don't know if it's it, it's got to have been tied in with making the dietary changes because I I don't in the 3 years of of being vegan i've never felt that and that just came up like uh like about a month ago so that was an interesting thing to go through because there was nothing that was going to stop me there was no PETA videos about save the dolphins who get caught in the nets there was no this is you're eating a life you're contributing to the destruction of other animals and, and all this shit that all went out the window and i just ran to the store and bought the can of tuna fish and then ate it in the store so like you know when well and i mean like we're talking even on neanderthal level and pharmacology when it comes to things like that and um, we come from hunter gatherer backgrounds which eventually developed and this could be a question interesting question in terms of how we developed into farm ecology and 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 the idea of growing crops and producing for large groups of people for sustenance Hmm. i mean the, the other thing that we have sort of diverged from in terms of all this is the 247 consumption of everything on the planet whenever you want. And people over time, even in the past, didn't have those opportunities to eat that way. Right. There were things that were plentiful at some points in time. People as hunter-gatherers migrated with certain things in terms of weather how it changed even if it was just you know 250 300 miles which made a difference Hmm. Um, all of that stuff has so greatly changed that again it goes back to like what does your body require there's some things that we eat and we eat it because of commercialism and the way it's marketed to us that we don't need to eat and that that aren't good for us and but you know not in the sense that it's poison but at the same time, it's just not a healthy choice. And it's okay to do that. Man, I order a pizza every once in a while. I go out and get fish and chips just because. Yeah. It's just where I'm at. It's, I'm, I'm placating an old thing. I remember going to get fish and chips with whatever it is, right? Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that's where I was getting at about your tactical environment and growing things or even supporting local growers or people that are organically growing food because you'll start to realize that there are certain things that are plentiful. They're great this year because of the year. Boom. Appreciation changes. You'd be surprised. Like when you grow a lot of tomatoes like we do and you throw hundreds, if not thousands of them out because of a blight that you can't control, that means you're not getting tomato sauce. You're not having fresh tomatoes every day. You can't go to town and sell tomatoes. There's a whole list of things that means no, you can't do this. As much as you try, as much as you try to fight the environment, you are completely locked to that deal, sir. So, again, we, <laughs> yeah. we don't eat seasonally. 
No. Not in Canada. Dude, you and I can get a kiwi fruit any yeah. time of the year, you know, if we wanted it. But that's not a norm. That's I, not normal. I wrote an article a while ago, probably like five, six years ago, called Strawberries in the Winter, which it's like we can <laughs> buy we can buy strawberries in the winter. They don't grow anywhere locally, but we're having them shipped in from another country, flash frozen and all that good stuff. And you know, now here they are. Oh, yeah, now I get a strawberry. But you got to take into account that w- because we're uh, seasonally, we're affected seasonally so- somewhat, um, we should be eating seasonally as well. So if it doesn't grow in your area in that time of year, then you probably shouldn't be eating it. And we should be a- adapting and adjusting to different seasonal Well, and you know foods. what, Jay? You're like, like 100,000% right, too, because even on the same like action of buying and purchasing at a store. I mean, it hurt. It drives me crazy to think that, I mean, I grow rosemary in my garage. I grow tomatoes in my garage, peppers, lettuce, thyme. Okay. Why should I be buying rosemary from Israel in Ontario, (laughs) which is kind of a breadbasket province, which has the ability to grow a plethora of rosemary if it wanted to. Yeah. Because there's, there's so many, other things that are almost political. The deals have been struck. That, that are tied into that, even with trade, mm. that it really becomes about the dollar in, in terms of, like, what are you making on this? And it, despite what people think, sometimes for a purveyor of food, it can actually be cheaper to go further afield mm. through shipping deals to get a better deal on something that's coming from thousands of miles away than it is from their own backyard. That's the messed up part, man, because like these contracts and deals were signed behind closed doors away from the consent of any of the population. And these deals were formed without polling the people or asking what we want, if we want these deals or if we want to just grow it in our backyard. We were never included in Well, and I know, and that's any what free this. trade was really designed to be. I mean, even as clandestine as, as I think free trade is, there's the, the, they were being trying to be transparent. It's going to be good for this. It's going to be good for that. It's going, but you're you're going to get your strawberries in the winter. And everyone went, yeah. Right, but not only that, Woo. it's tied into the economy of food and agriculture because then yeah. let's say producer of ketchup right. manufacturer in this country can get Mexican tomatoes yeah. for cheaper a bushel, even with shipping to manufacture, to cut their cost, to raise the profit margin of their investors. Right. Meanwhile, here, the $12 bushel won't sell because it's $2 more and it's actually being shipped out of country. Right. So that everybody's makes no sense whatsoever. Everybody it, is exporting. Like, Everyone's sending out, and no one's really. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Right. So they're really <laughs> unhealthy agreements that that are that aren't really benefiting. This. See, this is the thing. Is it, aside from how we consume food, and we go to the grocery store, we go to a farmer's market, we grow it ourselves. The other thing is that, that I'm always talking about how. They're always saying sustainability and talking about growing X amount of food because of population explosion and all this different stuff. Right. At the same time, why has food and agriculture really been not instated or massaged into the idea of being an educational tool with younger children, whether it be in the public school system, private school system, whatever it might be, so that young kids have hands-on 
ideas as to what food and agriculture is about, where it comes from, what it takes in order to, to, to grow this. Right. You start educating a very young group of people into the idea that this is just as important as math, science, history, geography, whatever it is that we're doing. This is something that's not based on a grade on, on a test. It's about your very survival and existence. The importance of a healthy survival and existence. Right. And, and sustainability can come through that. At the Vic, during the Victory Gardens post-World War II, and everybody was into the tomato and were the big fairs and the competitions and who's got the best jam and pies and all, it created a, a nice, healthy, local, sustainable food environment. When I went to a kid living in Markham, as a kid north of Toronto, you go to Knob Hill Farms and food terminal, there was nothing that was really coming from further afield other than lemons, yeah. limes, and like oranges and things like that. And But all the cabbage, lettuce, peppers, tomatoes, everything you can possibly think of all came from Ontario or across the country in some fashion. Even British Columbia, even if it means like it's in, it not international, but it's nationally based. Right. So, I, and, and, and again, it, it's so hard to like, there's so many fathoms. Or, 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 sorry, attachments to how food and agriculture is, has changed as a result of sociopolitical change. Yeah. That it's like, it's more important to start at the very beginning in the minds and hearts of young children who you can get excited about this kind of stuff. Right. And I, and I think that's more of like the, you know, the, the, the remedy behind it all. Yeah. But man, I can't help but have like a conspiracy brain and think about how. These kind of things are by design, that society is designed in a way that people don't know how to cook things because they want you to rely on going somewhere to get things cooked for you or get things prepared or grown for you. Uh, and even down to like, I don't know, when I was in school, when I was a young lad, we had to like take actual classes that taught us real things. Like I took home ec class that taught us how to cook food and what cooking food is. And I had to sew shorts together. I had to learn how fabric folds and gets sewn in and makes a shirt happen, you know, instead of just like learning that, oh, here's how you swipe a credit card to get a shirt is a whole different right. way of looking at life, more hands-on and, and utilitarian and tactical. And so is it by design that the deals these companies have struck, the same companies who are doing these, uh, agriculture deals are they the same ones who are influencing the school systems to stop teaching stuff like this and that's putting well, the pressure you know what? that's jay i mean oh, let's i think we should that's what i mean i don't know if i want to go down that rabbit hole right now <laughs> no 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 because it's an important it's not a rabbit hole and in fact this is where the fear factor behind the discussion behind what it is 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 more alarming that people don't want to talk about that the, the hard things yeah, and 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 some and some could argue that yes, some of this is by design. Commercialism is by design. By design means in in that regard, even in, in its most dialectic version of it, it's like we want to sell this product, even though it may not be the best choice. Right. We need to sell it because we have to sell it in order on an economic level to survive. But there's not the same moralistic kind of code that is attached to commercialism and marketing as there is to the idea that I want to provide 
good, healthy, safe food for my community to eat and consume. Um, and, and, and a farmer doesn't set out to think, well, what is the best marketing strategy behind these potatoes? They just know that they want to do it well and they want to do it as best as they can and hopefully as safely right. as they can. Uh, because that, again, becomes that moral choice inside of it. I don't know if you've ever seen how to get ahead in advertisement with Richard E. Grant, you know, as the marketing guy who gets a pimple on his neck, turning into his evil other. What is that called? Oh, my God. Okay. You're the how only... How to get ahead in advertising. Yes. It's fantastic. Like, I mean, it's just great. But yeah. at the beginning of the film, he does this monologue <laughs> that talks about yeah. selling things and... Whether or not they need it, we want to sell it to them. And we know the marketing demographic and how much they're going to buy. And that's why we're going to sell it to them. Without so, even having to go down the, and you, you can with me, brother, the conspiratorial sort of doorway and hallway of the whole thing. Even just that alone, the idea of what marketing is and the tactics behind you know it's unhealthy. Yeah. They create unhealthy images for yeah. people, <clears throat> unrealistic goals that are really based on ego-driven, you know, materialistic kind of things. That, to me, doesn't have that substance in it that says, I can do this, like you said, tactical, practical, because I was taught, it gave me this ability to understand what it is, and I can do it. I didn't have to purchase it. Yeah. And show you that I purchased it, and that's what makes it good. It's different if it's a tool, yeah. and you're using it as, in a practical way for that application. But so much of what we have today in society is based on that artificial version of what we think we're capable of. It's not actually... Ask somebody today that's walking around on a street somewhere with their app open if they can grow potatoes. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, right. So, man, that I just want to reference that movie again, How to Get Ahead in Advertising. That, okay, so I had already worked in advertising for almost 10 years before going off to college to get some kind of credentials about it. While in college, I was starting to have these revelations about how evil marketing was and how evil advertising was. As I'm having these kind of epiphanies and, and revelations about the world, I stumbled onto this movie, How to Get Ahead in Advertising, with where the pimple busts out of his neck and takes over. And uh yeah, that that seeing that movie at that time that I was starting to be awakened to all the corruption within the industry I was trying so hard to be a part of made it really hard to continue to be a part of it because I got really cynical and jaded about the whole thing. And everywhere I looked, I was like, that's not art. They're using a secret eye flow pattern that I know now the technique that makes you, I go zip, 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 look at the logo. Oh, look at that pretty picture. No, they arranged this girl's body in a way that her legs and her arms are crossed in such a way that your eyes go zip, 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 look at the logo. And it, it's, it ruined it ruined magazines, it ruined movies for me, it ruined commercials, it ruined a lot of art, what I thought was art, which I'm now like, oh, it was never art. It was all just a psychological head game that they're playing on everybody through the use of color and light and vibrations, and they know. Well, yeah, I mean, and color is a frequency. From the time that you're a child, you're, you're, you're dished out these frequencies. They're, they exist now, you know, in, in an adult setting or 
in fast food and in, in, in marketing, red, yellow, blues, vibrant colors, that are, you know, things that are subtle and, and subliminal almost in marketing, but easily pointed out that suggest certain choices that are in the stylistic approach of words. There, there's so many things. And not, that's just even, that's just broaching the top of the iceberg. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> because th- that's just, even through commercialism, through selling an ad, that's one thing. That's not even the psychological or sociological effect of even the movie industry or, or Hollywood in general in terms of the way, let's just say, sociological behaviors are disseminated in terms, well, this is a norm. You know, it was like in the movie, da-da-da-da. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's okay now mm-hmm. because we've created that, that, that normality for you by doing this. And showing you how it works, right? Um, and and they're even they're even tests and litmus tests for certain things. One may argue with Orson Welles reading War of the Worlds over the air, and everybody freaking out the way they did through the Mercury Theater it was just a hoax by the Columbia Broadcasting Company. But at the same time, people thought there were aliens that were landing in in New Jersey, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. again, what 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 is being gleaned and what is being released? Through this information, right, um, and and it might look like a story, but stories carry morals, codes, and purposes, and that's the reason they're told. Stories, and then there's also like archetypes that get carried and oh, yeah. passed around. You know, there's like even just look at the archetype of uh, something that flies that shows up. You know, whether it's a spaceship, an alien, a UFO, whatever the thing is a new bird you've never seen before, just the idea of something that flies when, you know, uh, way back in the day, you know, you're, something that flies wasn't a thing that you would see all the time. And all of a sudden you see something that flies and how do you even write that down and the idea of it and how it affected you and that kind of thing will reverberate all through time and all through history right to today where, you know, we, we kind of have like a global consciousness with these archetype imagery mixed into that, that we can all kind of draw from. But our brains, like if we look at something in the sky, like some odd machine flying in the sky, your brain is going to immediately try and wrap its mind around that and be like, what is that? I got to figure that out. Is that a plane? Is it a helicopter? Oh, it's a parachute. No, it's, it's an invisible transformer moving around. Uh, what am I looking at? You know, and people will see these things and your brain is going to reach first for the known archetypes and then it's going to start to get a little more subconscious and then eventually if you can't figure out what you're even looking at then your own creativity is going to just come into play and fill in all the blanks and uh well that's just it and and and, and you're so right Jay, because the human mind is processing continually and when it it tries to comprehend something that is either you know so outside of the normal framework of things it, 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 for me a lot of times in those moments is associated with fear because the first thing when you see something or have an experience with something that you don't understand yeah. is fight or flight right yeah. we want it we want to protect ourselves in those moments to know that it, we're going to be okay the next thing is usually curiosity and trying to discern exactly what what occurred and, and what happened in this scenario, because 
in, in some cases, even with like shock and awe, you know, a, a scenario can occur and there it's so elaborate. Like I've even heard stories of people that have been warned the tsunami sirens are going off. People are yelling and they're standing and watching this 20 foot wall of water and they're, they can't move. Wow. They're almost like, like, you know, just fixated in this sort of way. And, and it's the same thing with those moments. The brain is going through all these different things and at the same time trying to protect itself because it's like, what, what could, what if? It's, it's running like a crazy, crazy amount of cachet all at once, and it's trying to figure out what can I do to, 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 to figure this out. Because hmm. it, it can be alarming, and it's hard, to, it's hard to, to rectify. Man, there's a weird thing that happens here in the living where we live. There's an abnormal amount of people, percentage-wise, who have tsunami dreams compared to people who don't live on the fault line. And... It's just a thing that happens when you start, when you move here, because, you know, I've never heard people say like, oh, we have our bug out kit ready, you know, and like, it's something that's commonly talked about among neighbors now, you know, everyone has a bug out kit for an an earthquake emergency and people really take this stuff really seriously around here. So I've never heard, I've never even heard the term, I've, I've heard it on like, you know, doomsday prepper kind of shows talking about having your bug out kit, but I've never heard it so casually thrown around as it is here. And everybody just talks about it. Like it's something that everybody has, like everyone has a first aid kit. Oh yeah. That's my bug out kit. That's in case the hurricane comes or that's in case the earthquake or that's in case the tsunami comes. But yeah, there's this increase of percentage of people who have tsunami dreams. And I've only lived here a year and I never had in my life a tsunami dream. And like, why would I? And all of a sudden I've been having them. I've probably had five or six tsunami dreams in the last year. So huh. it's a really interesting thing that happens. But at the same time, like, and then here's where like the skeptic mind goes, well, if you're having conversations with people about it, you've heard reports about it, mm. people are having dreams, and that's probably why you're doing it. And you're anthropomorphizing the whole thing. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Maybe, but also maybe, too, there's a reality to, and I've heard this before, even months before a major earthquake, there are people that go through all these, like, mm, your equilibrium is messed up, having balance issues, overly clumsy, don't know why, spilling things, you know, and it's because I think there's such a geological, you know, build up of energy, rocks you know, under high pressure to unbelievable things, including produce gems. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, geology, confluences and river systems, they're all forms of magnetic uh, pressure and or flow. And uh, you, as a human being, bioelectric, living, breathing, existing in those spaces, you cannot help it in some way if you, like, I'm, I'm a firm believer in the Akashic Records or the sort of ability to kind of have a premonition about something or the thought process behind it circumnavigating the idea that it may be a possibility even yeah. accentuates that for people. Um, that's subtle energy, and it, it's really hard. It's really hard to, like, measure it because when they occur... They're unbelievable, and sometimes weeks, months, even years after the fact, in reflection, 
It's not until then that you're able to put the puzzle together as to why, or the, or the possibility as to why. Right. Um, and, and, and then later it can be discussed. Well, then people say, well, premonition means you've got it. Well, I told you I was having these dreams. Well, you can't have it both ways, man. Like, <laughs> but, but at the same time, it's like I think there's a lot to be said about, about that, that, that. Again, you know, I, I've, I've, I've only been on this planet for 48 years, but it's long enough to have had enough experiences in my life that are, let's say, supernatural, but also naturally super right in a sense that like i was outside working in my garden all of a sudden i hear this humming and out of the backfield is this swarm of bees okay and they're all following a queen to a new location to make a hunt oh yeah and i and and i got this chill that ran up my back like when you listen to a tune that just drives you wild or something and i started a week because I thought, had I not been there in that moment, in that experience, and paid attention to be able to see this beautiful natural experience occur, I, I, I feel like something now would be missing from me if I hadn't been there. Yeah. And even hear, you know, hear about stories like that makes people go, wow, you know, I wish I could see that happen. I was so lucky and fortunate. That's what I'm getting about the naturally super. It doesn't even have because for me later looking back and reflecting, it is supernatural for 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 me to witness something hey, like that. Yeah, man. Uh, just quickly to to just jump out of out of that and into something that's that's been happening to me lately is that I have these moments as well, uh, but then you whip your cell phone out to take a picture of it and it kind of ruins the moment and it captures it, but it kind of cheapens the moment too. And so there've been these times where I've forgotten my phone. And I remember this time, uh, so my mother and I just got back from doing groceries and this was in Nova Scotia and it was winter time, but it was such a beautiful day that I just said, let's run across the street and go look at that river over there and see if there's any deer or anything around. And so we ran across and then sure enough, a deer walked out of the meadow like 10 feet in front of us, but neither of us had brought our phones with us or camera or anything like that. And so I call this a me moment. You know, this isn't one for Instagram. This isn't one for the Facebook. This isn't for the world. This one is just for us. And so you got to like take that moment and really like appreciate that moment and soak it in and enjoy it for what it is and not be all wrapped up in, oh, this is going to look great once I throw a filter over it. And once I <laughs> crop out the the cloud that I don't like up in the corner and I don't like how that piece of grass stuck out on the other, on the other corner and the balance was off and the composition, let me just do some white balance and, uh, <laughs> There's some mud on the on the on the corner here. Let's smudge that out. Like you know, it's like, what moment have you captured now? You've gone in and well, rewritten that rewritten a moment. Yeah, like, I mean, it'd be beautiful to do that and say you could, or you did share it and you did do the white balance and cut out the mud and clouds <laughs> yeah. and everything. Yeah. But at the same time, like, what is that? Why are we so? I mean, it's a, it's a mainstay in social media and the perception of what you're doing sometimes with people every waking moment. And I mean, our moments and the beautiful things that occur, even in the where we're alone, 
or with just one person, mm. like you and your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, you know, some of the experiences I've had and, and Aboriginal people I've talked to will say, you know, that that was meant to happen at that time for you to see something, to accentuate something. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It matters what you think and how it affects you because if it bleeds into the collective consciousness or the, 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 the collective spirit of everything, your experience has more validity in that moment of giving without being in the digital version of it and having it happen to you than it is to actually share it on Instagram. It's great to get, you know, 122 likes. Yeah. So-and-so said this. Uh, but ultimately, the, it, it, there's something greater and more profound that is so hard to articulate other than you know, wow, I can't believe this just happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and those me moments are important to have. And as I've let go of, so like I don't have a data plan on my phone, so I can't use the internet when I'm out most places. So that's good. That prevents me from playing the game. And play, I, I still play the Instagram. I play the game. I just don't play it to the extreme that everybody else does snapping photos everywhere they go for me it's like if i see something really beautiful i'll take a picture of it and i'll share it later when i get home and get back online again so just by not having You're living on the outer rim the, the uh, living just skirting around the edge of the grid <laughs> not off the grid just still hanging on to the ledge of, of it i'm right there with you man <laughs> and you know what that alone like has made it so that I know there used to be a time when I would get down the street to the dog park and my heart would sink down into my stomach and as I reached to my pockets and, oh my God, where's my phone? <gasps> I don't have it, you know? And it's just this, you feel this empty hole in your in your, in yourself. And yeah, but nowadays I can, I can go all day without having my phone in my pocket. Sure, halfway through the day, it might be annoying. Maybe I want to listen to a podcast or I want to listen to some music. But that's really what it all comes down to. It's never the fact that I feel disconnected or I have to talk to somebody. It's always, I just want music or a podcast, which I could be throwing onto a smaller like MP3 device, I guess. And yeah, so by that phone not being there, I more frequently have these me moments. And you just start to recognize and see them more often. And I guess one of these greatest me moments of life was the time I was in Nova Scotia at uh, the Shearwater Air Force Base is where my, my grandparents lived right on the border of that. And there's a little subdivision called Eastern Passage. And yeah. now this is, uh, so my grandfather had passed away and they had me living in his empty house because it made the insurance cheaper. And it just so worked out that I had ended a work contract and I had nothing to do. It just, it all fell into place. The, the family, it just needed to be done. So I was living here in this, this house and uh, using medicinal cannabis at the time, we'll call it. <laughs> so I would have this, I had my routine that after dinner, I would go sit on the front step and I had an old man pipe that belonged to my other grandfather on my mom's side. And I would just have a couple little puffs off this old man pipe. Well, the whole family knew what I was doing out there. 
And then it became, rather than say like, oh, Jay's going to go get high, it turned into, oh, Jay's out in the front step again. That meant like, oh, he's out there, you know, using some plant medicine. <laughs> and uh, so as I was quote unquote out on the front step, I was sitting there and the clouds were sort of parting above the houses across the street. And I heard this helicopter or helicopters coming and I was looking through the clouds and I just thought, wow, they're so close. They got to be right there. And just kept staring at this opening and these two military helicopters came in flying in perfect unison with each other. And then in the center of them was this black orb the size of one of the whole helicopters. And it was just this black oval shaped orb. And the three of them were flying in a perfect unison. And it's as if they were like guiding it in and they're using the low cloud coverage to kind of hide this thing. But the where the clouds had parted just momentarily, it was enough to see one helicopter, the orb, and then the second helicopter. And then they disappeared into the clouds again. And You're from kidding. from that day... In being right there with the the air, uh, it's now a defunct Air Force base. They they don't do anything there anymore, supposedly, allegedly. What 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 federal base was that it, that it was up again? It's called the Shearwater Air Force Base, and it's in Shearwater. Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. That isn't anywhere near Shelburne, is it? N- no, it's in uh, Nova Scotia, so all the way down. Okay, all all the way down down the coast there by. So, but like Halifax, how far from Halifax? Well, it is, it is Halifax. They, they, they're, they're towns that are bordering each other, the two cities that is for all intents and purposes, it is all Halifax. Anywhere near Shag Harbor? No, no. Um, if I send you a map, I can send you an exact like pinpoint location. Because that, that area is like a hotbed and has been for quite some time. In fact, the Shag Harbor incident that happened in the... It was either the late 50s or early 60s. The can substantiated that there was a mass sighting by hundreds of townspeople, military, RCMP, uh, U.S. Navy, reported a yellow light going down in the harbor area, Shag Harbor area. It was down. Another light came in, another orb went under the water. Uh, this was all occurring. Military, the Navy came in. They had frogmen, divers, people that were diving on this whole thing. It seemed to go on for like a whole day. Hmm. And then they said they saw the lights in the harbor moving out into the ocean. And the, the Navy eventually followed out there. But it was all like kind of hush-hush. The RCMP tried to like keep people away. It's in all the newspapers. Uh, former Minister of Defense, what's his name again? Paul Hilliard. He has written about it in his book, and the legitimacy of it has been, you know, many journalists have done reports and things like that on it. So you're telling me about this and, you know, projects that have been going on, and, and who knows? Like, I mean, dude, yeah. There, there's so many things that on a clandestine level that have been going on, not just in the more recent advent of, you know, the 20th and 21st century even, uh, it's been going on for a long time. One may argue that this has been going on all along through human civilization and contact with people dimensionally, yeah, extraterrestrially, however you want to look at it. And I mean, you're lucky to have been there to see that. I mean, I know in the, 
I feel in this case, this felt more like military testing of some kind of flying device that maybe was reverse engineered from something. Who knows? That's all speculation and hearsay. Really advanced drone. Yeah. uh, But I mean, just the size of this thing, it was so, it was as big as the military helicopter. And to be able to just see it in such high def, like it was right there in front of me and that feeling of like, I wasn't supposed to see this. They're hiding in the clouds, clearly, and that cloud just parted and haha, it exposed their little whatever. So let me doing. guess, like, so you're alone. So, Did you go back in and like try to explain yourself? Tried to explain to, so yeah, I'm alone in this house at this time, but when someone did show up and I tried to explain it and they're like, oh, well, where were you? I was out on the front step. Oh, out on the front step again, eh? Wink, wink, wink. Right. And right, it's like right. that just kind of like, like, oh, you're getting high on weed. Okay. Yeah. You're seeing things. Oh, JC and aliens. No. Oh. You know, yeah, and it's there easier. Yeah. easy like character assassination to like yeah. legitimacy as far as I'm uh, concerned. But I'm I mean, like, look, there are people, reputable military people, police, public officials, presidents, famous explorers. Um, that have all journaled, uh, tried to explain what it is that they have seen in these experiences that they've had. Yeah. And I, and I think it's been going on for a long time. I think, I think that we have to be careful between what we don't know about technologies that have been developed for a long time. I mean, I've, I've known people that have worked on the Avro Arrow. Okay, and they worked in programs where they worked for a company manufacturing one specific thing. They didn't even know what it was really for. They were told it was one for something, but they were making it for something else. Right. Right. Multiple companies were doing this. It's systemic methodology. Bring it all together. Create the machine, and now you have something that nobody. Manhattan Project, classic example. Tens of thousands of people worked on that project, but very few knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. Um, and, and the same thing with this. There's so much advanced technology out there that even in the 50s, the SR-74, Blackbird, or the U-2 spy plane, their pilots that were flying that and testing that stuff, that said, there are actually things here that are 50 years ahead of what you're looking at right now. Yeah. And if that was back in the 1950s and it's <laughs> 2018 today, yeah. The technologies that are there and the possibilities of, of, of all, are, we have to not cloud it with, is this ours or is this something else? Yeah. Because I think in some cases, if there is reverse technology with things and people have been capturing down craft or in working with or however you want to look at it, uh, there's there's they themselves, are still completely unsure. Man, the universe is vast. And aside from our dimensional frequency of it, the other 11 to 13 other dimensions that are connected on these plateaus of fabric, you know, there are so many possibilities and options (laughs) of what could possibly be going on that it's even hard to speculate on. I just think that there's enough validity to stories cultural experiences that have been going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years, our own personal ones that have more recently happened. It all is a part of it. Again, what I, things that have happened to me or my family and the family allegory, 
it's it, it, it's it's for me. I mean, I can tell the story, whether or not you believe it or not. It, at that point, I don't care. Yeah. Because it, yeah. it's more like I, I know something else is here. Yeah. And it changes my life. It yeah. changes everything about it. That's the, yeah, that's the way out of this, like to wait, the way out of, you know, the family, like, oh, you're on the steps again. Like the way out of that is that I don't care what you think. I know in my heart of hearts that I saw a UFO flying today here on the front step of my grandparents' house. Like I know all these facts to be true. I didn't make it up. I didn't hallucinate. I didn't see it. I didn't dream it. It was there. The helicopters were real. The noises were real. And the thing flying made absolutely zero sound was the interesting thing. Just you could clearly hear the two helicopters. Um, so that's like the, uh, I guess that's the the paranormal and, and the supernatural uh, living in Halifax because they had the Halifax explosion so you'll often hear people talk about the Halifax ghosts. And it's just like a thing that when you live there, you just become accustomed to sp spirity things happening quite often. Uh, I used to see these wisps of smoke is what it looked like. And there just might be like, a, it's as if someone like maybe lit something on fire in your room and you see it out of the peripheral of your eye, just this puff of smoke going up in the air. And you can... As you turn and look at it out of peripheral, it's not like it goes away. It stays, and you can more clearly see this puff of smoke just going. And they'll often be kind of like different colors, like a white, a gray, or a dark, dark black kind of puff of smoke. And as is accustomed with a lot of ghost stories, what happened to me was I would see like this puff of smoke, and then the room would get really cold, or you would be overcome with an emotion that's maybe not your emotion. Like I remember sitting, uh, I was just sitting watching a show with my cat and then the room got really cold and I felt really pissed off and annoyed. And I was like, and I'd seen like the a black puff of smoke and I just kind of put all of these things together and I was like, okay, I'm enjoying this show there's no reason to be annoyed or angry or pissed off as I am right now. It just got really cold in here. And this was in, a, in an apartment where the heat was broken into the on position. And our landlord just kept paying for the oil heat month after month after month right into the summer. It was stuck on 30 degrees and it wouldn't turn below 30. So, And then this room would suddenly just all the heat was gone from the room. And the anger and the annoyance would just overwhelm you. And I remember like tuning into myself and going like, okay, these are, are not my real feelings. I'm not angry. There's nothing to be angry about or annoyed or pissed off. And then I would just kind of say like, in my mind, not out loud, I'd just be like, get out of here, ghost, or something along those lines, you know, like, go on here, leave me alone. Don't touch my stuff. <laughs> you don't pay rent here. Get out. <laughs> And, uh, you know, just willing things away like that. And, and then, you know, the, then the heat would come back on and then that feeling would go away. And one night my cat even got up on the end of my bed and had his back arched up and all the hair sticking up and he was hissing and scratching at the nothing in the air. I flipped the light on. I was like, oh my God, what is it? And he's like, 
and he's clawing and hissing at the just the air in front of him and the air in front of him as i had flicked the light on i just saw the trail end of one of those little wisps of smoke kind of visual things and this was in halifax this was in halifax yeah and this would happen these little puffs of smoke things would happen quite frequently and then the feeling of just that overwhelming something, a different emotion just suddenly hitting you and washing over you and the temperature in the room changing. That would happen quite frequently. And then as I lived there, the longer I lived there with people who had lived there forever, they're just nonchalantly talking about it like, oh yeah, that's just the Halifax ghosts messing with you. As if it was like just everyone knew, you know, it's just a part of life. Oh yeah, that's just the ghosts. We, we just live with them. And, well, uh, and you think about that explosion in the harbor, and yeah, it was so traumatic that people, for like such a huge distance away from it, were killed. Houses, windows, level part of it wiped out most uh, of the town. Wiped out, and I mean, like from what I understand, and in, whether it's like in the immediacy of death, like right after the fact, or it comes in places where it's like a filter mm-hmm. of what was or it's it's imprinted there like real and reruns mm. or in some cases depending on the spirit has the ability to come go or even interact with people as a result of them interacting with them there are so many variables again to to all of that that even in that scenario alone there's probably you know a multitude of different things that are occurring even just you know you may not even realize but the, the subtle subtle energy of how the entire area was imprinted by the explosion right there, there could be some so kind all of... all of that all of that feeds it almost and it becomes like i've heard of people manifesting their own entities like PK manifestations that happen through their own negative energies and perpetuations of those negative energies, that mediums will come into a location and go, this is a PK, psychokinetic manifestation. It's not actually a residual of something that was here. It wasn't brought in here by somebody else. But this person has done it through their own negativity. They've, they've created and were the catalyst. Yeah. And it just keeps feeding off of them all of that stuff. Usually you hear about it with like a big blob or it's big and black. Yeah. Very or like not orb-like, but it swells and undulates and can even have tentacles. And the things are usually growing on a wall or a ceiling somewhere in a corner. Yeah. You know, it's like, so again, we as people, bioelectric entities, <laughs> our separation from what that really is in terms of who we are uh, you know, is not a good, good thing in some ways, but it is the very thing that creates the potential and the potential of negativity of who we are and what we what we attract yeah. and what we create around us as far as an envelope is concerned. But maybe not even positive and negative uh, negativity, maybe just power, like the blast, the power of that blast held so much magnetism within it that it's held these souls kind of in place uh, and prevented them from from moving on. Like the reverberation over the years has kept them stuck. And it kind of ties in with like what the Dalai Lama says about how when he travels places on a plane, it takes his soul a few days to catch up with him, 
which is, which is interesting <laughs> to hear from someone like him. He's like, yeah, he's like, his soul doesn't, it's, it's not there. And he feels less, he doesn't feel like himself and it takes a few days before it, it, it'll find you. So if a plane can do that, think about what an explosion can do. And a plane is doing that when your body is still here and tethered with your, let's say, let's just say that there is a soul, your body is tethered with it. The plane is separating that and your body slingshots over later on a blast that's destroying the body so quickly, leaving that soul untethered and now re almost welded by the blast back into the earth where it was at. And I don't know. That's right. that's my only, that's my science. That's my, my new agey hippie science here at play. <laughs> well, but no, but it's so, and that's the thing. I mean, we're, 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 we're in some amazing territory in terms of what we're talking about. And, and, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of focus defocusing. Um, and, and, you know, look, man, I, I live in a house, I have a stove, you know, a VCR, my studio, my equipment, where I write, where yeah. I work, modern accoutrements that make my life easier. Yeah. But it's not my life. And right. I think that it's hard for us to separate ourselves from this kind of stuff to, to really look at what all that is. It's really hard to have the feral human experience in the 21st century unless you've been dropped off in some tranquil bush in a temperate climate as a baby raised by, you know, plants and wolves. Or right? <laughs> it, it, it's so hard that our, our culture is so, it, our ideas and how they are anthropomorphized in our own minds are always such a, a direct result of so many other things and so many other influences. It's really kind of hard to find original thought yeah. based on, our opinions, our examples, all those different kinds of things. But yeah. that's why I was getting at before. Whether or not you took the picture of the deer with your mom in that experience that you had, what what means more is is the is the fact that you you were lucky enough to have it. There's something that and people are like you saw a deer, man. Who cares? You know, like. But at the same time, how you know separate. Are those two people in that moment? And does it really matter? No. no. The universe may <laughs> say no. I may, I may agree, right? But at the end of the day, again, it feeds into something that's bigger. Yeah. That just like that explosion, it's going to leave some sort of imprint, whether it's subtle or it has a magnitude that's unbelievable to fathom. Um, but it's all part of the, the, the I don't know, the, 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 the bigger picture of things. But the thing that staggers me more than anything is, is just not recognizing it or not willing be willing to talk about it outside of, you know, other things. It, the, the, sometimes what scares me the most is, is again, the, not having the language with people because they're afraid to talk about certain things. Or I'm just not interested in that. I mean, I understand yeah. that you're not interested in that, but why are you not interested in that? And for what reason? And then, and then if you do have a conversation about it and it just isn't their bag, that's cool too. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but, but it's just, you know, again, dialogue. <laughs> so important. When it comes to things like, uh, you're talking about life, maybe extra intelligent life, things like that. I think people are just scared. I think they have a fear that there might be something 
stronger than us. There might that you know because we're taught our whole life that we're the top of the food chain and we're the best of everything, and we're really not. Like put yourself in the, in that jungle being raised by nature and, and a lion's coming at you. Like let's see how strong you are now. You know you've never been taught to form a weapon. You don't even know what a weapon is. You're just the baby. Like there's we're not the top of the food chain, and I think right. that living that lie you know, the veil is starting to to come down in society. And I think that people are starting to see through that. And it, it scares them a little bit to think that there's something else out there that could just come in essentially and wipe us out in one foul swoop, you know? I mean... Well, and, that, if, and then I guess that's where really the idea of maybe it, whether it's clandestine and hidden and kept a secret for the reason of our safety through the powers that be yeah. or whether it's kept that way for their own purposes. Right. What's not healthy is that the rule of the universe, from what I understand, listening to cosmologists, philosophers, mathematicians, physicists is change. Change. And what change The only constant in the universe is change. It's always going through some incredible change. Uh, there's stability for a while, but it may take millions of years, but it is going through change. And sometimes those changes are really quick. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, when you suppress information for the reasons that it's supposed to have happened, right. that's not a healthy thing. No. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in like listening to people like Francis Crick and Robertson, the discoverers of sort of the DNA code, right, and mapping the DNA strands. And some of the things that, that, that Crypt said was like, okay, yes, yeah, so we did this. We know what this is. These combinations, 64 combinations of chemicals and everything, this is what makes us us and these unique fashions, these code chains of how it all works. What he said, though, was the chances of this evolving in a primordial way through the evolution of Darwinism and the concepts, and that may be so on a species level over a long extended period of time, but never ever could that develop the way that it has in the complexity that it does today. He said, with us, we would have, in terms of DNA, the same chance of being able to run a hurricane through a junkyard and having a fully-fueled and flying 747 jet flying out the other side than it would be that you would have, like, us developing panspermia or direct panspermia and the concept of manipulation genetically yeah. through manipulation. Uh, I'm sorry, to me, in some ways, there's a lot of evidence. We ourselves are doing it to species everywhere in order to suit our needs or the needs of the bigger picture, if you will. I'm not necessarily a proponent of thinking it's a good idea, but point being is that out of all the species on this planet, genetically, we are the only ones with this junk dna <laughs> and you know we have we have this this space that even scientists themselves don't really understand we don't have the capability yet to understand really what it is where did it come from right. what is it? what is the space between you know upright homo habilis homo erectus walking man hunter gatherer tribal to you know the the, the, the pre-changeover there's nothing yeah. we've gone from these an, an incredible biological change that it just happened in really the grand scheme of things almost overnight. 
I'm not talking from Tuesday to Wednesday, but hundreds of years. Yeah. It's an incredible speed that that would have occurred at. That there's 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 got to be a, a, a connection in some way to what this is, and maybe in some ways the the the, the people or the powers that be have been kind of holding on to this kind of information about what this is, um, and or interacting with it in ways that you know most people don't get a chance to see or understand or 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 at the same time it's maybe part of the the prime directive a codicil in the prime directive of the universe which means you can't just go down there and give them a whole bunch of like you know space guns and ufos you basically right. have to like you know spoon feed the ideas of these concepts into you know making them a healthy eventually post a terrestrial society that ends up going out into the cosmos. Can I can um, I just pause? Can I just pause for a sec? Yeah, I, I got to grab a bottle of water here. Just one sec. Thank you for holding, man. I was starting to get that no. just that tickle in my throat, and it's like I hear you. Yeah, we've been rapping for a bit, so yeah, I get it. I've got a coffee going here and a big glass of water, but still, sometimes you dry out, right? Yeah, I usually keep a big bottle right here on my desk, and I looked, and the bottle was empty. <laughs> well, that's no good. Whew. Uh, yeah, so maybe, uh, yeah, we have been talking for like an hour and a half almost. Um, I don't know what your time frame is, but I would definitely love to hear your own personal experiences dealing with some of the more... For sure, I have to be somewhere at two. I was, I was thinking we were on for half an hour. That's cool. I love talking to people, and you're a fun person to talk to, man. Yeah, thank you. Um, you're, but I, you're I, cool. you know, I got to be about ten minutes south of here by about two. So if we could maybe, I don't know, wrap it up at like quarter two. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. So yeah, whatever, uh, whenever. I guess, yeah, maybe just finish off with uh, with your own personal, like, UFO kind of story and let everybody know. Sure, you want to bring it back in? About that, yeah. All right, and we're back after my water break. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. H2O, you Smooth. have to hydrate, yes? We have ways of making you hydrate. Smooth transition there. <laughs> I had to get some water, folks, and I got the water now. And yeah, um, yeah, man. So maybe, yeah, tell us all about. Uh, I don't know how organically to segue this, <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to hear about your own experiences with, uh, like my own with the out of my front, out on the front steps. Well, I mean, you know, uh, where do I begin? I guess. I mean, growing up in my family was like the allegory that sort of, or an allegory that went through the dinner table and, you know, family occasions in terms of storytelling and stuff. Um, my grandmother's brother was born with all of his hair and teeth, and he could already speak. Oh, wow. He predicted the day that he would die at the age of 11. And this all happened like it's documented in my family village back in Europe. And we come from the old country, you know, where I'm Slovak, my background. This idea of, uh, you know, the phenomenon, phenomenon occurring, 
was commonplace. My grandmother always was also a firm believer in, in, in intention. Uh, the yeah. potato soup that she would make, she believed, would heal people of cancer. And in some cases, some people that ate her soup were magically healed of cancer. She knew spells that were hundreds of years old that came from the old country, okay? Like, yeah. so this was like, yeah. she lived with us, right, right? And when I was a kid, one of the earliest stories my family would tell was this incident that occurred with this light. I'm going to call it an orb. But it wasn't noticed at first. My mom was making dinner in the kitchen, old farmhouse, some pump or something, and pipes were rattling in the kitchen, so she thought I should go check out what's wrong in our basement. She went down there. Nothing was on. Came back upstairs to the kitchen gave way to a big bay window and she thought we were going to be hit by a small aircraft because we weren't too far away from an airport a small aircraft airport less than three kilometers okay so it was like what's happening here so she told everybody to duck <laughs> and nothing happened but the vibration kept happening and the windows were still vibrating and when she looked up because she was like what's going on it was this orb and egg shaped with a depiction and everybody in my family was watching this happen because she was look out the window it was like swirling vortex of different colors that were like amalgamating in the band around the lower third of whatever this egg-shaped orb was it was so bright it was hard to look at almost like an arc light when you're welding and, but when you looked off to the side, it's November, early evening, mm. it didn't cast any shadows. No, normal candescent bulb, you know, tree, lamppost, you'll see a shadow, person walking, shadow. Right. None of that. None. All of a sudden, within about a minute, it lifted up over our barn, and it's, my mom and family said it started following the topography of the landscape heading southeast, away from where we lived, and like a bouncing ball. And we undulating profile the creek system and everything that where we live it kind of makes sense why it feels like a bouncing ball regardless the next day in the newspaper richmond hill newspaper and the markham newspaper the buttonville airport which was the small aircraft airport reported tracking six different unidentified flying objects in the area wow now in the 19 late 1960s you, these kinds of reports if something happened it would go into the local newspapers because it was interest People were interested in this kind of stuff, and what the heck is that? And people were seeing a lot of different things. So that story alone was got me interested in the whole phenomenon and and trying to ask questions, research stuff, all of that. But my my own personal experiences, I was coming home with my sister in law. I was telling you earlier in the show, big farm, fifteen hundred acres. So between barns, it's a drive got to get on the road and go from A to B. When we were coming home for dinner, I saw this red, I'm going to call it an orb again, and it was stationary when I had seen it, but coming in our driveway, it was almost a quarter of a mile long coming into the farm. You know, you're, you're, as the driveway turns, it follows this bank of trees, and, and I could see that it had moved from where the car had slowed down because I was driving and my sister-in-law was next to me, starting to move a little bit. So I, <laughs> before I, I could even stop the car, it was in neutral. I jumped out of the car and ran to this tree line. And it, if you had stuck your thumb out and looked at your thumb, it was about as round as your thumbnail. So it was, it was pretty big. 
Right. Like, and, I, and I'm, I'm thinking between fields, it's got to be like, you know, a quarter of a mile or a, a, a half of a mile from where I'm standing. And it was, it had a vibrating profile to it. And the center of it, like, again, was this white, swirling, like, vortex. But the most of it was red and fuzzy red. But it was a light. It wasn't like a fuzzy ball or something. It was definitely a light and giving off that fuzziness to it. And this is like dusk time, still like twilight. It, you know, sun is still coming down. Um, and then it would dart off on a, on a diagonal really quickly. And then it would move slowly backwards, parallel to the ground. Then it would move up quickly. And then it would move down on an angle di- on a diagonal. But then it would stay stationary. And it kept doing this for about five minutes. And, but progressively making those moves and heading west until I lost sight of it in a tree line because it's hills again, trees, you're, visually you can't see it anymore. Mm. But I was so, uh, how do I, I'm fascinated and terrified at the same time that by running out of the car while in neutral and still rolling, my sister-in-law is putting her foot on the brake to try to stop the car yelling, <laughs> Edward, Edward, get back here. Like it's something like from a, a movie or something and I'm going to be abducted. Yeah. I'm running to this tree line and so fascinated in my mind, I want to run out and get as close to being underneath it as I can. And right. at the same time, I'm almost in a genuflecting position because I'm like so fearful that I don't want to leave the tree line. Yeah. So again, you're, you're caught between what am I seeing? What am I looking at? I'm paying attention to what's going on. Peripherally, on an audio level, I hear my sister-in-law, Edward, get back here. Come on back. Like she's terrified. She won't get out of the car. <laughs> I'm like ignoring her completely. <laughs> and then at the same time, I'm wondering, if this thing gets any closer to me, do I leave? Do I get back in the car? What good is that going to do? Yeah. Where am I going to go at this point? I'm trying to rationalize all of that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so for me, it was one of the really first profound personal experiences that I had on that level in terms of like a, a paranormal level with something that I guess you could say is extraterrestrial, interdimensional. I don't think it was plasma, ladies and gentlemen. It wasn't <laughs> it was swamp gas. It wasn't geese. It wasn't ducks. It wasn't, you know, a right. weather balloon. Right. It was definitely doing things that I couldn't in my mind obtain an answer for yeah wow and yeah man so like that's like kind of like a common thing that you hear about is that these things are moving in these erratic ways that the mind almost doesn't comprehend because you know our our vessels move in a certain way based on the laws of gravity and everything and then you hear and you'll see videos of these things like darting around off to the left and in and out and forward and back and up and down and and not really having any rhyme or reason to it other than the fact that they are kind of moving like they'll be going like you said in some odd formation but they will also still slowly be going away from you you know uh, well, yeah, and that's it. You're trying. You're, yeah, you, you, it's one thing. Like, like I've seen, you know, meteorites. I've seen some incredible aurora borealis mm. stuff. That's like almost like it's like a gas in front of you, electrified. But like, it, it, just so charged. Yeah, the atmosphere. Yeah, um, things that you know. Some people go, oh, "What is that?" I don't know what that is. I've seen strange planes. 
uh, harriers. If you've never seen a harrier fly at night, they can lift off like a helicopter and fly like an airplane. Yeah. Um, and so they're designed to be on aircraft carriers so that you can go long distances with a two-wing aircraft and still have the ability to land the aircraft like a helicopter. Yeah. Um, when you see one of those late at night and you're near a federal base and you're totally unsure what it is, you're like, what is that, man? Like, <laughs> what have they got in there, right? Yeah. But it, I, I know after studying it, it, it it's definitely that's that aircraft. But And plasma. I think a couple of times I've seen plasma chargers. Um, and gas, strange, like gas from the creek system I used to live next to. But mm. it doesn't register or classify in the same sort of experience. And like you were saying, when they're, it, it's darting around, and you're trying to, like, first of all, fathom the distance between you and the object, and it starts to do this. You're trying to make these calculations and at the same time going, wow, that was, like, how, how did it, you know, it moves so fast. In yeah. that quick movement that you're like, what, what is that? Like, you almost at a certain point feel like, is it somebody doing something behind you, in front of you? Mm. Because it's happening so quick. Like, you know, I got a laser pointer, you know, going on the roof. Mess around with, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. late, the, 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 the June bugs at night or play around with the dog on the lawn. So he chases the, you know, the little dog on the lawn. <laughs> yeah, I get it. You can do some pretty amazing things with that little laser pointer, but. And then again, it's continually doing this chaotic but yet similar activity and at the same time progressing and moving in an area like towards the West. And, you know, I, again, hard to discern the speed as to what this is all happening as it's moving. Um, but again, I bring it up with my sister-in-law sometimes, like, you remember that thing? She won't talk about it. <laughs> She refuses to talk about it, you know, and I'm like, yeah. well, you know, for her, like you said before, it was very profound. People are afraid. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. When I was a kid and I went for my birthday to see E.T., it took me months, months <laughs> for, you know, I had to keep my bedroom cupboard door open because I thought, you know, what if there's an alien? <laughs> And, and my family experience is like, what is this thing? It freaked us out. We don't know what. We're... So I don't know what the math is, Jay, yeah. on all this, you know, interreaction with what these things could be or not be, even if it's our own government, Yeah. you know? Yeah. So at the same time, it's, it, 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 again, it changed me. And it, 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 I, I keep my head up and looking in the stars probably more frequently than I ever did as a result of those kinds of things. Yeah. That's funny. I had the same experience with the E.T. film. I begged my parents to take me to this thing and it came out it came out at the drive-in, the drive-in theater. So they said, "Oh, well, your movie's at the theater at the drive-in. We're going to go." And I had been begging for months to see this thing. Finally, it's happening. I'm in the back seat. I'm watching the movie. E.T.'s head pops up on the screen for the first time. And I dive down in behind those car seats. I pull a blanket over my head and I didn't come up for two hours till the movie was over. <laughs> <laughs> the cornfield shot with the... Yeah. Is that the flashlight? Yeah, like the first scene of him at all. It's just like, oh God, <laughs> I'm scared Yeah, of that this. one pretty much did it for me too, you know. And my sister, I remember she was laughing about it. She thought it was <laughs> such a joke. I'm like, I'm traumatized here. You know? like, <laughs> uh 
Yeah. Jay, you know what? It's been amazing talking to you. I, yeah, I, I'd love to come back on the show at some point when we get a chance to wrap again. <laughs> for sure, man. All of this crazy stuff. Yeah. This has been a blast. Good talking to you, Ed. Uh, you too. All right, man. And good being on, you know, beyond the mat. I know you're not mat, but, you know, you are the mat. You've got the yoga mat going. So. <laughs> got two good or, to be on your two, mat. Two or three of them here. It's hard to get off of them because they're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, man. Again, thank you so much for being here. It's been a blast. Thank you. I look forward to doing it And you let me know when we're up in podcast. For sure. Awesome. Have a good day. Thanks, Jay. That was great. Okay, folks. www.jcoleyoga.ca for my new book. That's it. Ed Roman, what a great guest. This guy knows his stuff. And I love how it all came back to diets and nutrition. In the end... That is all that really matters in life. All the other stuff is extra. What we do, what we're into, our interests, but it always comes back to what goes in, what comes out. What we put into our bodies changes everything. The more garbage we consume, the more we see garbage, the more we become garbage. And we're not garbage people, people. We're people people, people. Don't you agree? Just smile and nod. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Until next week, peace, love, and light. Namaste and all that other good noise. Did you like that? That creepy, spooky UFO noise before the ding? Yeah. Yeah, see what I did there. Yeah, goodbye.